Welcome to Moving the Needle, casual conversations about ways, big and small, to impact student learning. Brought to you by the Faculty Center for Teaching and Learning at the University of Maryland, Baltimore. I'm Erin Hager. Let's move the needle. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Moving the Needle. I'm Erin Hager, and we're recording this today on what is the University of Maryland Baltimore's start of term for most of our classes. And we are going to change things up a little bit today. And rather than having kind of a formal interview, our co-host and I, Scott Riley. Hi, Scott. Hi, Erin. We are going to do a little bit of a back and forth about strategies for starting the semester, all of the energy that comes at the beginning of the semester, uh, kind of keeping that energy going as the stressors pile up, why we do what we do. And what's fun about this episode is that we sent out a call to our faculty across campus to to hear from them, to hear from you. Uh, what strategies do you have to kind of uh, start the semester on the right foot, keep things going, keep your energy up, take care of yourself when the stressors pile up. And so we're going to be talking about that today and, and sharing the wisdom of our uh, colleagues today. So thank you all for joining us. Scott, how have you been? How was your summer? Hey, Aaron. My summer was great. Always too short. I, I, you know, I always start the end of the spring semester saying, yes, I've got 12 weeks. I have all the time in the world. And then I close my eyes after you know, one or two nights sleep, and I'm already preparing for courses, but it was a great summer. How was your summer? Yeah, it was good. It was good. A little bit of, you know, all the things that sort of make it a summer, but I hear you. I feel like the um, the idea of summer as a true break is something that maybe isn't as common anymore in, in higher ed as it used to be, at least from the folks I'm talking to. Are you noticing that also? Yeah, I definitely am noticing that there seems to be more and more time dedicated to preparation in the summer for the upcoming semester than when I started my teaching career some <clears throat> some years ago. Uh, and so I definitely see that. Yeah, well, I hope you had uh, some moments over the summer to rest and recharge. But now that we're approaching or here at the start of the semester, I'm wondering uh, what strategies do you have to make sure the semester gets off on the right foot? That's a great question. For me, it's, uh, and I'm kind of embarrassed to admit this, uh, I use lists. I do checklists. And as simple as that sounds, when it comes to prepping for the upcoming semester, I always find that I forget so much over the summer about what things need to be ready to go. So I create a checklist and I go through, do I have my materials prepped? Have I gotten everything I need from any academic resources or any of the library resources that I need to grab. And the one thing that I really like to do probably the week before the semester is update content. So once I've reviewed everything and make sure that the bones of the course are still relevant or still useful, I then go in and see, is there anything that needs to change? Should I switch something? I also look at notes from the previous time I taught the course to say, oh, that topic didn't work at all. So let me just shift or you know move lanes a little bit to help me prepare for the upcoming semester. Yeah, that's so important. I I really appreciate that. I think especially in health professions, you know, where our where your fields are changing so rapidly and the research is coming out at such a fast pace, keeping on top of all of that um must be a challenge. One of our respondents um a faculty member in the School of Nursing has a really great strategy for this. Um, she says that she belongs to a few listservs um, that help her identify updated articles and maybe uh, different clinical guidelines, that kind of thing. And she just 
forwards them to a, to a special email folder as she gets them. Uh, and so she has all of that information in one place as she's getting ready to, to update her content, update her syllabi as the semester starts. I thought that was a really great tip. Yeah, that definitely falls back on the plan ahead mentality. Don't let the semester surprise you and get this updated content in an organized spot where you then don't have to search through your 300 emails over the summer. I think, yeah, that was a great response. One thing that really resonated with me uh, was from uh, Roderick Rose from the School of Social Work. One line in particular Maybe don't work quite as hard on non-teaching activities for just a couple of weeks. And this is a trap that I find myself falling into every semester. You know, we're back. A lot of people have motivation. They've got new project ideas. Committees are starting up again, and they've got a bunch of agenda items. And so my calendar almost every semester just gets slammed in the first couple of weeks with things that are important, but they're not teaching focused. And so I think that was a really great piece of advice. We also saw a similar response from Samantha Fold in the School of Social Work, you know, avoid scheduling or agreeing to too many meetings for the first couple of weeks. And I, I need to write that somewhere on my desk, you know? Yeah, I, I noticed a lot about calendar management, time management. Um, you know, really, one thing that I noticed come through in a lot of these comments was this idea of protected time. Um, it's one thing to say, you know, try, try not to do so many non-teaching activities. I think it's a, another thing to really block that time off in your calendar and make sure no one can schedule you. Um, MJ Bondi from the, from the graduate school says she likes to carve out time in her schedule when she's at her best for grading and student engagement. So not just fitting and in teaching into the cracks and crevices where meetings are not happening, but really carving out that protected time and saying, this is when I'm going to uh, work on my course prep. This is when I'm going to do my grading, that kind of thing, and and really blocking it in there um, like it is a meeting. I fall into that trap again in the fact that I don't consider how much time it's going to take to grade the assignments or how much time I need for lesson planning. And then often I find myself doing it quickly and not giving it the the time it deserves because my calendar was open. So I put other meetings in there, but blocking off intentional time for the other responsibilities, almost the invisible responsibilities that people don't think about when teaching. I think that's great advice for anybody starting the semester. Yeah, that's great. Do you find you have a, a better time of day or a better time of week to tackle those kind of thoughty teaching tasks? Oh, 100% I do. So I'm very much a morning person. I would say that 90%, I hate to say this, 90% of my productivity happens before noon. But in your experience as someone who's worked closely with a lot of educators, what do you think the best time for these kind of things is? I, you know, I think it's really a question of just knowing yourself and knowing, being mindful of your own energy levels. Um, and and I work a lot with faculty who teach online. And so in those courses, there isn't necessarily a dedicated class meeting time. So the, I always call it like the space time continuum of those classes is a little different than what it is when you're meeting Tuesdays and Thursdays from five to eight or something like that. So I think just knowing yourself and knowing when there's those energy levels are um, at their peak um, and also really coming up with a reasonable uh, rate of responsiveness, like a timing of, of how soon it is you're going to be able to respond to students. I mean, I think there's a, a lot of um, thinking that goes around, you know, you don't want to reply to every email the second it comes in because that might be all you do all day. Um, but at the same time, and particularly in an online environment, and especially at the beginning of the year, students need to know that there's a another person at the end of this 
communication exchange, right? That they're, they're being supported, that there's someone there, they aren't just in this vacuum. Um, and so maybe thinking about your, your rate of response, the, the quickness with which you respond to students is maybe a little higher in those first couple of weeks, particularly in an online course, um, so that they do know you're there, you're available. Um, but being really clear about expectations that, you know, you may not be able to reply to every single email immediately after it's received, just kind of setting those boundaries, but also making sure students know you're there. Yeah. And I think this is really a good time since we're on the topic of students anyways, to kind of discuss our second question. And when we reached out to everybody, the second question was, how do you connect with students at the start of the semester? And so I know, Erin, you do a, a teaching, not a teaching fellowship. Can you remind me? Yes. So we have a, um, it's called our Future Educators Academy, and it's for graduate students who are interested in uh, pursuing careers in academia. Um, and so we kind of expose them to, you know, what is life uh, like as a faculty member how do you balance teaching and research? What are some of the core principles of, of effective uh, instruction? That kind of thing. Um, but we do spend a lot of time at the beginning of our of our time together getting to know each other. Um, these are graduate students from different disciplines, different schools within UMB. So um, they probably haven't met each other before. And uh, yeah, it's just taking that time, being really intentional about that time at the beginning and not thinking of it as just something you have to push through in order to get to the content mm -hmm. <laughs> and realizing that the, the, um, what we're able to do as a group is going to be improved by that sense of community that we try to build, build in those first couple of, um, first couple of meetings. Okay. So you, you intentionally set a time, set aside time in those first couple of meetings to allow the students to build community and connection. And I think that's a really powerful strategy. One of the things that we saw, quite frequently in our responses was creating that intentional time for students to get to know each other and to, to not rush. You know, if a little bit of content gets pushed back, that's fine. For me, one of the biggest ways that I try to connect with students at the beginning of the semester is I, I pose a very, what I think is simple question, but it always gets crickets inside of the classroom. I go, why take this class? And many, you know, sometimes I'll get a nice student who will be like, well, I have to. And I'll be like, oh, cool. OK, that's good. That's good. You have to take it. But then tell me why. Why would you want to take this course? And the purpose of that question is to get students to talk about their goals. What's their next step goal? What's their career? What are their career goals? And then I try to massage the learning outcomes of the class to be relevant to their goals. And what it does is it creates connections between students who are going into a similar career field or students who know that they're going to struggle with particular content. And they mention like, my goal is to get better at blank. Somebody else says, oh, I, I want to get better at that too. And it creates these unintended connections in the first discussion uh, of class to really help build, like you said, community and kind of break down some some barriers. I love that so much because I, I bet you get a little bit of a deer in the headlights look from some of your students. <laughs> but what I what I appreciate about that is it reminds students that they're even if this is a required course, they're sitting in the seat as a choice. Even if this is a required course in a in a set curriculum they are sitting there in order to meet the requirements to advance their skills toward their desired career 
And I think that coming into the semester, realizing like, yes, this is these are stepping stones to get me where I want to go. And just being reminded of that at the start of the semester must be really motivating. I hope so. So far, I haven't had any complaints. Uh, but I do want to <laughs> also discuss uh, Tanya Thomas from the School of Law mentioned a common or a, a popular way to introduce students in class by doing icebreakers. But one I hadn't thought about in a long time was the two truths and a lie. Normally I hear, you know, what's your name, where you're from, and students kind of give this, you know, pat like a passive answer. They're just answering to, to move forward. But I like these more interactive games that require them to think a bit about themselves and reveal something to the class to help create bonds. I, I, I noticed that too. She also mentioned um, asking students to identify song lyrics or songs that really resonate with them or make them feel motivated. And then she goes an extra step and creates playlists for those songs. And so when the students are maybe working in groups or doing independent work during the class time, active learning, she will play those songs. And I think what a wonderful way for students to know that you have been heard. Literally, you have been heard because now you are hearing the music that I know motivates you or inspires you um, as you're working on this class together. I think what a wonderful, wonderful way to show that engagement. Yeah, I'm probably going to steal that one. Sorry ahead of time, uh, Tanya. That's, that's a, the whole point. Yeah, that's a really good one. That's the whole point. I know. It's so great. Uh, Samantha Fold in the School of Social Work also talked about um, going deeper in those icebreakers, not just that superficial, where are you from? And she connected it to the student's value system, which I think is important in any field, but I can imagine, especially in social work, that uh, constant reminder of why why we do what we do. Why are we here? Not just my personal goals, but my my values, what I'm hoping to create and put out into the world. Um it, I think, would lend itself toward a very rich discussion and students feeling um, connected to her and to each other very quickly in the semester. And this also really reinforces the idea of putting the agency on the students to let the professor know what's important to them so that moving forward in the class, those things can be incorporated if they you know, parallel with the material and things like that. So that's really, that's a good idea. These are all great ideas. Yeah. <laughs> Scott, what do you do uh, at the start of the semester so that students get to know you on a little bit deeper level? Oh, I'm sure many of my students will say, we wish Scott did less of this. Uh, <laughs> but I generally tend to incorporate parts of myself into my lectures. Uh, we actually had a discussion. I made a summer bridge program called SAGE so that our incoming students could refresh on material before they actually got into class. And I'm a huge Dungeons and Dragons fan. And the way that I kind of put myself in there is the logo for SAGE is the letters S-A-G-E, but there's a little red wizard's hat on the S because Sage, you know, they're wise people. They, they give advice and things like that. And so I, I try to incorporate my personality into my lectures and I, I very much believe in making or having the students shouldn't say making, having the students interact. And sometimes that requires organic conversation. That's not related to the material going back to favorite songs, things like what movies did you see over the weekend? I try to be intentional about including small things like that throughout the entire semester. And the key thing, at least the key to my success, what I believe is remembering those things. It's not, mm. it's not just enough to know the student's name, 
But when you go in and say, hey, I remembered that movie you recommended to me and I watched it and these were my thoughts. And that really creates that connection, that rapport between the student and the professor because they say, oh, the professor is the professor cares about what I say. You know, they're not just trying to teach me and leave. I think that's important. Yeah, I, I think that two, two way vulnerability, obviously, within reason and respecting boundaries and that kind of thing. But um, creating that uh, vulnerability with your students, sharing a little bit of your of your life, your your personality, your interests, that kind of thing, it, it humanizes you. And I, I believe that it creates an atmosphere where students might be more likely to ask questions or might be more likely to come up to you after class and say, hey, I'm kind of struggling with this particular topic or, you know, whatever it might be. Just it just lowers those defenses um, a little bit when they can see you as as a human instead of just, you know, this person who evaluates and grades my work and tells me what I need to know. I, I agree. And I, I keep forgetting because I'm still relatively new to the, the faculty environment that there is this intimidating barrier for many students to see you stand up at the other end of the classroom as an expert in your content. And they, they do forget sometimes that we are very human and that we can be approached and we will not breathe fire or, you know, terror, terrorize the students. And so, yeah, creating those humanizing moments, I think, is very critical. But like you said, there there is a balance. You know, we do have to maintain a professional relationship. And that's that's difficult. You really got to work at that. Yeah, I, I like what Susan ben, Binden in the School of Nursing said. Um, she talks about uh, the beginning of the semester as an opportunity to convey excitement um, on the part of the faculty. So excitement that, you know, you're teaching this class, excitement for this discipline, excite, excitement for this field. Um, how would you say you you approach that? So it, it does depend on the content that I'm teaching. So for example, I my background is in batteries. And so I'm very passionate about talking about three-dimensional lithium-ion diffusion patterns, but that's a little bit harder to get my students into. So it comes back to making things relevant. We talk about how batteries are in cell phones and in cars. And so I get the students to be passionate about the content and about learning by creating buy-in, creating relevance to their lives that isn't necessarily part of their career. Um, It's a little bit harder, for example, with technical writing. I also teach technical writing and there it's very much we start with assignments that are fun for them them telling me about their hobbies, them telling me about their their passions, their dreams. And then we get into, okay, let's create a method section for a PCR or a fluorescent assay. But we start, we try to start the semester off with fun and relevant content, but it's, it's tricky sometimes. I, I remember faculty that I experienced in college and graduate school and like whenever they geeked out about something, like I just kind of appreciated that, right? Like it, they may not win me over into the glory of a lithium ion battery or whatever. But it it does make me realize like this person is here because they really love this information. And I, I think that goes a long way into um, bringing your students along, even even if it might not be their uh, their passion for the rest of their life. You know, it, it just kind of creates some energy. I think that they can ride that wave. Agreed. Agreed. Well, the next question that we asked uh, in our call for responses was um, about self-care and how faculty can take care of themselves as the stressors of the semester pile up, which they always do, and, and we know it's coming. So, Scott, what's your what's your self-care strategy? Where, where do you go when you can feel yourself getting a little stressed in the semester? So, for me, it's all about 
creative outlets. I really do my best to make sure that I have an identity outside of my job. And I know that's not for everybody. Some people are very passionate about their profession and their career. Um, And for me, it's very much about finding things that I like doing outside of work and making an intentional time to do them. It's a I, I, I guess I'll say I make myself a little too available to answering, like you said, student emails, making sure I get back to them in time. So I have to pick my times very carefully. And most of the time I don't get to pick. I just say, oh, I've got an hour here. Let me sit down and start being creative. And that goes a very long way to helping me stay sane during the semester. I love that. I love that. So much of what we got in response to this was kind of your your physical self-care routine. So exercise mm-hmm. and nutrition and, and drinking water, all those things are so important. But I love how you expanded that to include kind of honoring your creative self, honoring a part of you that, um, you know, is is not in service of your students or in service of your field. It's just something that fills you up and brings you joy. Kind of, no pun intended, charges your battery. Yeah. So speaking of charges, your battery, great pun. (laughs) Uh, Nisha Ganesh from the School of Dentistry kind of discusses the fact that as a person who has to be extroverted constantly in their profession, sometimes that drains their social battery. And they do a lot to protect intentional time, either in the morning, in the evening, you know, not normal working hours, but giving themselves dedicated time to do activities that rejuvenate them. And I think that's something that we can all practice a little bit more is saying, hey, I need to make time for self-care just for me, not as an obligation to anybody else or doing anything, but say, what makes me rejuvenated and what times can I do that? Yeah. And it's it's interesting because other people sort of had the an opposite approach with respect to kind of that introversion, extroversion um, dynamic and and some people find it rejuvenating and recharging to just make time to to spend time with their colleagues um to connect over coffee or lunch uh talk about what they're facing i think you know we work in a very vibrant institution there's a lot of people a lot of stuff going on but so much of our work could be seen as individual right we teach individually typically you know maybe our research is with some colleagues but but the things that we're doing are, are kind of on our own so um Samantha Fold in the School of Social Work talked about taking time to schedule check-ins with with colleagues, coffees or lunch, catching up, um, that that really can be a stress reliever um, and 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 create community, you know, among the faculty, which is so important. Yeah, I agree. And I wonder if there's a way to kind of intentionally incorporate that into the semester before it starts. Going back to, you know, you were talking about how do we start the semester off right? I know one of the responses was, plan ahead, make meetings that you know you're going to need to make. But what about meetings that you you need for yourself? And so I wonder if that's something that we can intentionally do as well as say, hey, I know I'm going to need to meet with some faculty to recharge my batteries. Let me get it on their schedule in September because come October, everybody's going to conferences. People are going away for vacations in November. So getting a jump start on the semester may also be about, hey, let me schedule those rejuvenation meetings. I think that's so smart. And recognizing that they don't all, I feel like we just have this default where meetings have to be an hour, <laughs> right? <Yeah>. Like <laughs> 20 minutes, like let's just do a 20 minute coffee and just connect and just nice to see your face and, and hear how things are going. I think that can go a long way. So I love that idea. I think that's great. Um, I also heard a lot uh, in our in our mailbag responses to this is just kind of 
recognizing the rhythm of a semester and, and preparing for it, right? A lot of people seem to think uh, that uh, it was important for them to recognize that, you know, the first couple of weeks of the semester have this high energy, this get to know you, um, then then there's a different energy maybe in, over the next month This kind of we get into a routine of content and assignments and things like that. Then comes a slam, right? The slam is going to come at a particular point and you know it's coming and you know you're going to have all your papers to grade and the dog's going to have an emergency surgery and your office internet is going to go out. Like you just know a week like that is going to happen. And so just kind of bracing yourself for it, I guess. How do you, do you have any tips for just knowing something like that is coming and, and dealing with it when it does? So I think we may have discussed it before, but I think one of the responses said it best. The semester is only 16 weeks. So when I personally think about the rhythm of the semester, I say no matter what's going on in X number of weeks, it will be over. And so all things are temporary. Whatever stressors are coming your way, it's a hill. You know you're going to get over it. And then it's going to be downhill from there. And so I wish I wish I did have some tangible tips. Most of the time, once those hard weeks in the semester come, I really just kind of put my head down and get through it. You know, I, I pushed through it, knowing that once I'm on the other side, I'll feel much better. Um, what about you, Aaron? Do you have any tips for that? Well, a couple of things come to mind. One is, so I've been um, getting trained in coaching. And one of the things that uh, coaches will often ask their clients is, how are you going to celebrate? Right. Because so often we just we reach a hurdle and then we're like, OK, I reached that hurdle. What's the next one? Or I, I, I met this accomplishment and now what? And we never really take a moment to intentionally celebrate those kinds of things. So maybe when you get to a certain point in the semester or you've gotten you've gotten your students through this particularly challenging assignment or activity, just maybe just take a moment and say, like, wow, that's really meaningful to me. Um, this happens every semester. It's always hard. Um, but maybe I'm going to give myself a little reward. Maybe I'm going to go out for an ice cream cone or I'm going to invite a friend to coffee or do something that fills me up. But just making it a conscious uh, connection to that hurdle that you've just overcome. So that's one thing that comes to mind. Um, but I love something that uh, Dr. Mary Jo Bondi in the graduate school wrote. She has a, a tool that she uses and she calls it the 10-10-10 challenge. And so what that is, is just a, uh, when something difficult is happening or something stressful, asking yourself, is this going to matter in 10 minutes, 10 days, or 10 years from now? And the response to that um, really can influence uh, how you feel, right? Like if you realize like, okay, this, this is a pain right now, but in 10 minutes, this is going to go away. 10 days from now, this will seem like a completely different situation. And when I think about 10 years, you know, that seems to me like something coming up that's like really questioning my values or really um, creating some kind of why do I do what I do type question. Like, is that going to matter in 10 years from now? And I'd be willing to bet very few of the things that come up that that create stress in the moment um, meet that 10 years from now challenge. I just I thought that was just such a healthy, healthy way to think about things on our plate that might be unpleasant. Oh, I agree. And I'll be honest with you. I, I had to write down your first suggestion because I constantly forget that we're not just doing things to get to the next thing. We do need to celebrate our achievements, even if it's small. The beauty of the UMB campus is you can go get an ice cream and it's a five minute walk from campus and you know it's a 20 minute meeting. You can go grab an ice cream, come back and you won't miss a beat in your day. And so 
that one really resonated with you. Thanks for that, Aaron. All right. Well, now we have a plan. We're going to do an ice cream yeah. meeting next. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think this kind of lends us into the last question we asked because it really gets into that idea of making meaning around what we do. Our, our question that we threw out to our colleagues was, was, what keeps you going as an educator and what helps keep things in perspective when teaching and other demands feel difficult? And Scott, I don't know about you, but these responses really knocked me over because the depth of meaning that our faculty uh, place into their teaching, the sense of purpose that came through in these responses um, as as a source of strength and energy, um, like why do we do what we do? Um, I, I just thought they were beautifully expressed. Agreed. And for me personally, my my response is very similar to many of the people who many of the faculty who responded to us, I really do get fulfillment. I know I talked about having things outside of work, but I really do get fulfillment when the student has a light bulb moment or when the student comes to me and says, hey, I'm really struggling and I trust you to help me overcome this barrier, this hurdle that I'm facing. And so for me, the reason that I keep doing what I'm doing, no matter how hard it gets, is always going to be very student focused. I want to see the next generation of young individuals go on and succeed and do things even better than I could have ever done them. And that's, we saw a lot of that in our responses. Absolutely. And I think being in the health and human services professions here, it, it makes that meaning, uh, takes that meaning even one step further afield. Like like uh, Samantha Fold in the School of Social Work says, reminding myself that the work we do will help to prepare hundreds of future social workers who work alongside communities in which we live and work and hopefully help to make the world a more inclusive, equitable place makes this work meaningful. It's worth the demands. Yeah, I wish I, wish I could add to that, but that, I think that was said perfectly. I also think it's important, Nisha Ganesh from the School of Dentistry brings this up as well, is that we're constantly looking at the assessment of students, you know, the outcomes of students. And one of the things that can really help frame things for you as an individual or faculty teacher is to come up with outcome assessments for yourself. Going back to that idea of celebration, something that can keep you going throughout the short term, the 10 minutes, the 10 you know, hours, the 10 months, 10 years, is to come up with assessments or outcomes at the end of every semester to say, hey, look at all the great things that I've accomplished. Wonder what I can do next semester. Can I outdo myself or do I need to take it a step back and do a little bit of self-care? But I think that's another thing that was mentioned that keeps people going is knowing what you're doing has an impact and then looking back and reflecting on all the things you've accomplished. It's not just the day-to-day grind. You're doing things that matter, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Almost like a life review, like a kind of as your life review as an educator, like thinking about how you taught when you first started out, what you've learned since then, the the kind of interactions that you've had with your students, really taking the long view. Um, that can be incredibly powerful and motivating. Agreed. This has been such a wonderful discussion. I am just wishing you the absolute best start to your semester. Oh, thanks so much, Aaron. I always appreciate being on the show with you, and I can't wait to see all the cool things that we both do in the upcoming semester. Yes, and and for the rest of you, we are wishing you a great fall semester, and we hope that some of these tips and strategies and perspectives um, help you as, as you get ready to connect with your students in this profession and uh, think about that broader pur- purpose about why we do what we do. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you for joining us today on Moving the Needle. 
visit us at umaryland.edu slash fctl to hear additional episodes, leave us feedback, or suggest future topics. We'd love to hear from you.